This morning we'll be in Psalm 70 and 71, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. And while you're doing that and finding those two chapters, we'll go over what's going on. It's kind of a busy day today, in fact. Today, after second service, we'll be meeting at the courthouse at 145 for uh, Life Chain. This is a national event. I don't know if everybody knows that or not. I tried to make that obvious to uh, in our posts and to the other churches that may want to participate, but it is a national event. Jenny and I have been doing it for well, 30 years plus, and um, um, it's a wonderful time for us to stand up silently against abortion in our country. Uh, although the Supreme Court's done what they should have done, um, we're, the battle's just beginning, and it's, uh, it's going state to state now. And so that is today. If you'll meet at the courthouse at 145, I'll be sending it off with prayer. We'll meeting the other churches there that'll be participating. We pick up our signs. Um, you don't interact with any pro- counter-protesters. You just stand there quietly. They may, they'll do what they do, um, if there are any. Uh, sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. But um, your job is to pray, to stand there, uh, and stand up for righteousness. Uh, potluck, October 9th. Uh, that's, uh, well, next Sunday. Pulled pork. Bring sides that go along with that. And then October 31st is our uh, harvest party. We try to give an alternative to celebrating Halloween. We don't want to glorify evil as Christians, and so... No evil costumes. The kid, kids can dress up. Feel free to do that. But we just want to steer clear of what the world's doing. And uh, that's what we've got going on this week. Also, tonight at 7 o'clock is our corporate prayer time. So uh, church, life chain, prayer, kind of a busy uh, day if you want to make a, a day of it. So we'll be here from 7 to 8 o'clock for corporate prayer if you want to show up for that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that it would speak to our hearts. We thank you for David. When he's in trouble, he cries out to you as we should. And when we cry out to you, you answer. And uh, from past experience, we know that you'll be there in time of need, uh, and we can trust you, not only with our past, with the experiences we've had, but with our future. And so David acknowledges that. And uh, even in the midst of all the difficulties going through, especially with his own family, um, whether it's Adonijah or whether it's um, his other son, um, we just pray that um, you'd help us to trust you and have joy, even in the midst of some of the battles that we go through, Lord. There's always a reason to have joy in you, um, regardless of the circumstances that we're currently in. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 70 is a very short one. and We break it up into two sections, verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 5. Um, verses 1 through 3, make haste, O God. To deliver me, make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. David had enemies that were looking forward to him failing. He's had those problems before. This is almost identical to Psalm 41, I believe. Or 40, I can't remember which one, but very similar. And it's, it's a common problem for leaders. It's a common problem for David. It's a common problem for all of us, as there are some people that just don't want you to do well. And, um, and when you do, it bothers them. And when you fail, aha, aha, is what they say. And they're looking forward to that moment. It's the I told you so kind of thing. I knew you weren't, or whatever it is that they have against you, that's their heart. That's what they want. And so David is praying for them, in a sense, I pray that you turn them away, turn them back, and bring them confusion. His hope is that whatever plan they have, whatever scheme they've got going or hatching, won't come to fruition. And that's for their sake. 
He's hoping that in the midst of this, they'll find shame. Uh, normally when someone's attacking you or whether there's no shame in it, they just, they just want you gone or they want you hurt. They want to ruin your reputation or they want to ruin your whatever. Um, but David's heart for them is if, they, if the plan doesn't work out, maybe while they're replanning, unfortunately, there'll be a pause for them to maybe catch themselves. Why am I doing this? What is this for? Um, what is this bitterness in me that causes me to hate David so much and wanting to cause hurt and pain to him? Um, and so he's hoping for shame. And that's not a bad thing for people to feel that uh, regret and uh, the sorrow that goes along with doing somebody else wrong. And so David is praying for that. In Proverbs twenty four sixteen through 18, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. The idea here is, the, the proverb, the writer here, is saying, let God do what he needs to do. We don't need to manufacture it. Um, maybe they are your enemy. Maybe there is. I'm just trying to turn the tables. David, I don't think, has done anything wrong, but... He, he could have, and he's, he's made his mistakes as a king, probably hurt some people in the process, intentionally or unintentionally, who knows. Um, but the idea is, that if you're that person and you feel like you're the person that's been wrong, to sell help us in both situations, whether we're attacked wrongfully, then pray and ask God to deliver you and protect you. But if you are the one who feels like you need vindication, let God do that. Let him be your vindicator, the, the one to bring that into somebody else's life. He does such a better job than we do. Um, when someone needs correcting in our lives or someone you, you, you wish would understand you better or whatever it may be, praying for them that God would step in is so much better than you trying to hatch a plan. Um, our plans end up being really one-sided, not concerned about the person, but more along the lines of helping ourselves or exalting ourselves and not even God in the process. You just want to make yourself look better. And um, God oftentimes can do both. He can do that. He can lift you up, but he can also bring humility and restoration. And so that's not a destroyed relationship. It's, a, it's, a, it's brought back together. And so we're not to, to rejoice when the enemy falls. We, we want to be very careful about that. Um, lest the Lord stop what he's working out in their lives, you know, and in our lives. In Genesis 12, verse 3, um, and this is what David is calling upon. He says, um, I'm, I'm calling on you, God, to deliver us. I want you to make haste. I'm calling on a past promise that you've made. And that's in Genesis 12, 3. When he writes to Abram at the time, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. David is simply saying, I just pray that you would see and remember that promise you made to the nation of Israel through Abram, and I pray that, well, they wouldn't hurt us. Um, I'm calling on you to fulfill your promise, God. Now, the prayer here in and of itself is from a man's perspective, obviously. Hurry up, God. Hurry up, God. You know, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to protect me. You know, hurry up. Well, if your doctrine's sound and you understand who God is, he doesn't need to hurry. He's always on time. He's always doing what he needs to do when he needs to do it. There is no desperate deadline. Now, for the person in the midst of the trouble, there's a desperate deadline. You know, hurry up. 
Um, and that's where David comes from. And what I, what I like about this is it just shows the humanity of us. And God isn't saying, no, easy, David, until you get your doctrine right, I'm not doing nothing for you. you know? No, he, God is able to interpret. He's able to translate I, I know that you're struggling, and I know that you're, you're, you're fearful. And you're, Think about Peter when he's walking on the water, and he's doing so well, but he looks at the wind and the waves, and he falls in, and he just says, help, you know. We don't have a doctrinal lesson right then and there. Jesus says, oh, I'm Peter. Now, do I, do I really need to reach? I mean, you know, he doesn't. Do, he just immediately reaches and grabs him and pulls him up. We'll talk about it later, afterwards, but right now you need help, and I get it. You're panicking. Uh, um, every lifeguard has to go through that kind of training. Um, someone who's drowning is not concerned about anything else but their own preservation. And so as a lifeguard, you have to make sure that you're safe because you've got to do the rescuing, but you also can't just swim away from them because you're mad at them. You know, you know, qu- quit grabbing onto me and shoving me under. I don't, I don't, and you can't lecture them on how to swim from the side of the pool. You got to come up with some different strategies because they need saving and you understand the panic you're able to interpret that as not personal. You're, they just don't know what else to do. And so God, God's able to do that with our prayers. Be comforted in that. You know, He's got broad shoulders. He's a good father. He understands your heart. Um, and he's able to, to save even in the midst. And so David's saying, help, help, hurry, hurry. I'm coming, you know, kind of thing. Um, verse four. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to help or make haste to me, O God. Uh, you are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. And so there it is again, the, the hurry, please, Lord. Uh, David just, he's older. He's at the end. Um, not a young guy that can probably put up with a lot, you know, can withstand a lot. He just... I don't feel like I can hold on much longer. I'm I'm in that place right now. And God understands that. But in the midst of that hurt and in the midst of the panic, maybe, and the the darkness, he he glorifies God in that. Not in it, not necessarily for it necessarily. He's not thankful for it. He's just in it. He's able to glorify God. He knows what he's made to do. He knows what he's called to do. And he still does it despite the circumstance. These circumstances don't cause me to love God more or hate God more. I just... I do what God's called me to do, and I feel for him like I feel for him, and I share that regardless of what the world's doing. David doesn't make the connection, like we do sometimes, that what's happening to me is God's fault. David never makes that claim. He says, God, they're doing this to me. I know where the source is. It's these human minds and these human fleshy instincts that are causing me this hurt. I don't blame you for that, but I do do hope for salvation from you. I know that nobody here is going to do it. And so he's got a very healthy understanding of what the world gets confused. And sometimes we do that. The things that are happening to us is, well, why does God let this? What is he doing? This? And we get mad at him. It's like, no, 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 no. That's just people. Um, that's just people in their flesh doing what they do. Um, it, cry out to God for help in those circumstances that he would step in. Um, God be magnified. David, praises regardless. And it's a safe place for us. It's a safe place, and he's, we're going to hit on this in 71 also, to stay in that place of worship with God, no matter what. Um, 
That's where God saves. If, if I get away from that worship, if I get away from that glorifying of God with my life, then sometimes we can fall into the flesh as well. And now the people attacking are in the flesh. Now I'm in the flesh and God is really out of the situation. It's not a good place. Um, but David keeps himself in the love of God, keeps himself in that place of worship as a worshiper. And God recognizes that. He sees that. He doesn't like that when someone's picking on someone who's trying to worship him. It's a great place to be. And so David gets to that place and begins to worship and serve the Lord. Psalm 71. God, the rock of salvation. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. You said that you would save us, and I remember that commandment, and I'm calling on that again. I like the fact that he says, you're my strong refuge that I want to go to, and basically saying often, continually. I want to be able to call on that power of yours, that ability to protect myself in you and around you all the time. You know, You can't call upon God too many times. You just can't. I don't think he ever looks down and doesn't indicate that from his word. Like, how many times have I got to do this? And when are you going to figure out how to do this on your own? He never says that in his word. He always wants us to call upon him. And David says, I know you're my strong refuge. I want to resort to this, what I'm doing right now, continually. I need your help. I need protection. He's actually saying in verse 1, I put my trust in you. Let me never be put to shame, basically for putting my trust in you. I think that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an act of faith to say out loud, I'm trusting in God for a solution to this problem. Because now that you've made that public, you're kind of bound to it, and you leave both God and yourself open to criticism if it doesn't happen or whatever. And so it's a very interesting thing to say that out loud. It is an act of faith to say that, and that's what David's doing. I'm writing a song about this. I'm putting my trust in you. But let me put, put the shame for doing this, you know. We have many people in our lives that we're trying to minister to, we're trying to be examples to, trying to show this is what it means to walk with God. And when hard times hit our lives, it's an excellent time for us to show them, now watch what God does in my life in this hard time. And it's a very big step of faith to say out loud to that person, now I'm going to let God deal with this. Now watch how God delivers me out of this difficult trial. And they are watching. These unbelievers are watching you. You know, David is doing that. I know this. I know this is important. I know that they need to see this. I want you to cause me to escape. So I pray that you hear me. I pray that you listen. Um, I'm counting on you. Verse 4. Deliver me, O God out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust for my youth. By you, I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Hmm. Um, I circled in my Bible, I become a wonder to many because the next verse is, but, but you're my strong refuge. And so it's not like the world is looking at David saying, you're just a wonderful, you're a wonder. No, 
it, it almost indicates that David is drawing more attention now as a believer. I've got the attention of enemies that I didn't think I had, is the idea. I'm a wonder to them. Hmm, you know, never looked at him before, never thought of him. It was a shepherd kid. He was a, a, a minstrel in the king's court once in a while. And, uh, now the focus, you know. I know that when we first become believers, we talk about a hedge of protection around us, sort of a honeymoon time with Jesus, with that honeymoon time. First believers, just God protect me. And we enjoy his word and we're praying and we're hanging out and we're removing things from our lives that are ungodly and replacing them with godly attributes and habits and things like that. And we're, we're doing that. And it's a wonderful time period. And then somewhere along the line, it seems like we get noticed by the enemy and the attacks come. And the draw to go back to the world and the criticism and the ridicule for following Jesus. And do you really believe that stuff? Are you really that kind of believer? And so on. Even from, even from who you thought were brothers and sisters in the Lord may say, well, that's a little too you know, far or whatever. And all of a sudden the attacks come. I don't know that it's a honeymoon that's over. And I don't know that there's a hedge of protection that's been removed. It's that you're walking with Jesus a lot more than you used to. And the evidence in your life is shining and showing And as that light gets brighter, like David says here, I become a wonder to people. Now, that person used to be pitch black. That person used to be in the grips of Satan. I mean, mean, nobody would say that out loud about you, but they're like, that person was a lost cause. And all of a sudden, you're getting brighter. You're you're clearing up. You have a, a joy that you haven't had before. You have a there's just something about you that's different. And all of a sudden, you become a wonder to people. Not necessarily because they want it yet. There may be some. But others are like, I don't think I like the new you. The new you is not who I'm used to. You're a lot more joyful. I like to be dark and emotional. I want you to be dark and emotional with me. I don't enjoy, you know, this idea of not going out on Friday nights anymore with you. And so you begin to get that criticism. You become a wonder to people as we get older. Um, David here says, and he's going to say that as much, in my old age, um, I'm noticing these things more and more. You're, You're my strong refuge now more than ever because I don't know that we mean to do this as younger believers, and I still count myself there because I can still, you know, move and stuff, but... I do have grayer hair than I used to. But um, as you become physically weaker, and maybe even mentally weaker, not as sharp as you used to be and all, um, you begin to rely upon God even more than you used to, although you should have always been relying on him completely. We know that. We know the right thing to say. We know what the doctrine is. We know what the Bible verses say. Trust in God alone. You know, yeah. We, but a lot of it we seem to be able to handle on our own you know, or be able to put up with a lot more. As you get older and you begin to get weaker and you realize I'm going to need someone a lot stronger than me, I can't put up with this anymore, and you call upon God a whole lot more, and God steps in a whole lot more because you're letting him. As you get weaker, he becomes stronger in your life, and David is noticing that. As I get weaker mentally, as I get weaker physically, as I get weaker this way or that way or whatever way, I call upon God a whole lot more because I don't have any other choice And he steps in a whole lot more because I don't have any other choice. There's no option A. You know, it's just B. It's just God. And so he calls upon him for help. 
I've trusted in you from my youth. Um, when I get, as, as I'm growing older, I have, I did this yesterday, as a matter of fact, I had some time with the Lord and, and uh, he was reminding me of all the times um, we knew each other in the past when I was a little kid. For the most part, I didn't walk with God. I mean, but I always knew he was there and I always had a healthy respect of him and I understood who he was and I'd never say anything bad about him. I mean, I'd never, I was never on that side of things antagonistic towards him, but I was rebellious against him, but just because I wanted to do my own thing, but I still didn't mean him any harm, although it was. And so as I get older, I remember all the times that I had with him and where he stepped into my life and um, we'd have conversations and we'd have prayer time before I was even told I was supposed to pray. I remember all those things and, it's, and I'm going back and this is, oh, I've never not known him or he's never not known me you know the only thing that happened when i was 19 was that i surrendered to him and gave him my life when i was born again believer but i've always i've always talked with him i've always known him i just never made him lord of my life you know and that's happened and god is reminding david and david is remembering those times you've you've always been with me even when i was a shepherd kid and now that I'm an old man as a king, David is reminiscing about those beautiful times he had with the Lord. And he's reminded, and that's, that's important. Um, sometimes we go to, eh, I wasn't going to say this, but here it goes. Sometimes we go to conferences, and I'm one of the older guys now. And uh, the younger guys are, you know, ah, you can't live in the past, and you can't do the tent revival thing. You can't always trust in what happened in the 60s and the 70s and all these things. And and, uh, and big teachings on that and all. And, and, and you know, you, you nod, and I understand what you're trying to say. And, uh, and so you got to destroy those things and move on and see what gets. And I'm like, I don't think you have to destroy them. I don't think you're right there. I think the things that happened in the past are meant to give us encouragement for the future. Um, I don't live in the old tent revival of Calvary Chapel in the 60s and 70s. I don't even know if I was aware that they existed. It wasn't, you know. But I do love the fact that God moved at one point back then. And there was a revival that took place. I don't live in that revival, but I do hope for another one. I don't think I can replicate it, nor do I think I can copy and paste it into the future. But I do look for it. I do pray for it. And I'm ready for it. I don't worship it, but I do remember it and talk about it, you know? It'd be like saying, you know, Billy Graham, well, he, whatever, you know, great, great minister at one time, but he's dead. We got to move on to the future. I don't think I'm going to forget Billy Graham. He's one of our prophets of our country. You don't think about that. You know, you read about Israel and their prophets and all. Did God ever stop? Was Billy Graham a prophet to the world, in a sense, proclaiming God's goodness? All over the world, thousands getting saved, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's in the, he's in the same line as Elijah and Elisha. You know, those things. Now, do I worship Billy Graham? Of course not. Billy Graham would be the first to tell you, I'm a wicked sinner saved by grace. Always have been, always will be. So we don't worship, but I do remember. David is remembering his time with the Lord. I want to remember the times where God stepped into my life and changed me and transformed me, protected me, made himself a refuge for me, stepped in and defended me corrected me, whatever it may be. Those moments, I've always, I don't worship those moments. I look forward to more of them with him. You know? And so we look at the past 
And that's all David is doing. I've trusted you in the past. I can certainly trust you now in my old age, is all he's saying. Verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Even in my old age, I want to praise you, Lord. I want to remember your times, and I want to do this. Now, even though I'm crying out for help, and I feel like I'm attacked, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this, I'm going to fill my mouth with your praise and glory all day, because that's what I'm made to do, and I've always done that, and it's not going to change just because someone doesn't like me today, you know, or someone wishes me harm today. I'm not that fickle. Do not cast me off, verse 9, in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie and wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Many people believe this is written during the time of Adonijah. David's son is trying to usurp David's authority and take the, take the throne from him. It's in 1 Kings chapter 1. We're not going to go there. You don't have to read that, but you can reference that later on and read that whole ordeal. It's very similar um, to his other son, Absalom. Absalom got you know a bunch of people to agree. Absalom would sit there before the people would line up and come talk to the king like a judge. Can you help me? Can you can you figure this out for us? We have a problem. And uh, uh, um, <laughs> Absalom would place himself there and say, "Yeah, okay, who's next? Who's next?" And while he's holding people back and letting them come in one at a time, he'd listen to their problems. I say, "I know, and David's so busy today. Why don't you tell me what's going on? What's going on with you right now? Why don't you fill me in?" And they would tell, and they would pour out. And he goes, "Ah, oh, oh. I mean, if I was king, I'd be on your side on this. I'd be totally on your side." And he would do that. He did that for years, to the point where he got a chariot and he got fifty men to run before him, saying, "Here comes, you know, da, 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 the most anointed, whatever, you know." And and he, oh, I can't believe they're saying that about me again. You know, they're on this payroll, and so they're doing this thing. And he built up favor amongst the people. And when, when he's doing that, he's also, in a sideways kind of way, undermining the authority of David at the same time. Ugly, ugly. God's watching the whole thing. And that's what everybody like Adonijah or Absalom do, is they forget where authority comes from. They think it's something that they can manipulate, that they can do this, and that they can change that. They can do No, no, no. David understood where authority came from. David knew that Saul was a bad king. David understood that Saul was uh, a sinner and needed to be broken down and needed to be taken out. David understood all that, but David also knew that it wasn't his job to do that. God was the one that poured the oil on Saul's head. God will have to be the one to pour the oil on the next guy's head. You can't just do that. It's wrong. You have to let God, and David, I mean, what a great example of letting God do whatever he needs to do. I mean, David ran for his life for who knows how long and still wouldn't touch. Well, David is in the same position. He feels like all these people are saying, God has forsaken him. Let's pursue him and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Well, there is one left to deliver him, isn't there? Because God's not done with David. And so this is during Adonijah doing all these things. It's sad. Here's what David says, verse 12. Oh God, here's, that's what they're saying. Here's what I'm saying. Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. Their 
attacking of me is not going to stop me from praising you. I'm going to do it more than I ever have. And see, that's a, that's, that's a true heart, a man after God's own heart. I will praise you regardless of my circumstances. I will praise you in them, through them, around them, before them, after them. You will get praise from my lips. That's what I am made to do. That's what I've dedicated my life to, David says. And so as they press in even further, all they're going to do is make me pray more. I'm just going to worship more and louder. What a, what a beautiful testimony to David. I'm going to write a song about it. Instead. <laughs> Why don't I write a worship song about my latest problems, you know, that we can all sing and bring you glory, God. Really? You know? Most people would say, I'm not going to write another single song until you fix these things in my life. You know? That's a pouty baby you know, kind of thing. No. No, 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 no. I'm going to write this song about it. You know, and I'm going to watch you work. Here's what's sad for me. The nation of Israel is doing really well. Doing really well under David. Things are going too well, unfortunately, because people get bored. And when things go well, they don't realize and they don't give credit to where it needs to be. God had placed his anointing upon David. And so things are going well because David is trusting in God, not like everybody else you know, Saul, the only other king, but like many of the other kings are going to do before and after David are, well, we're not going to trust in God. We'll start to trust in God when things are bad, but when things are good, we'll take the credit. And that's all these people are trying to do. Israel's at the top of its game. Jerusalem has never been more beautiful. They're living at peace for the most part. David's there. Take it. Take that. Why not? There's no problems. I mean, nobody wants Israel when there's problems. Remember the back and forth with Moses and God? They're your people, God. None of your people, Moses. I mean, no, nobody wanted Israel when there's problems, but they, they did what they were called to do. And now that there's no problems and everything's great, everybody's like, take it from him. God's forsaken him. What makes you think that? What a waste of time. What a waste of time for everybody. Instead of looking forward, they're inward. You know, they're fighting. They're scheming. They're planning. David's defending. They're... You know, I mean, what a waste of time when it could be feasting and, and, and rejoicing in what God had done for the nation of Israel. It's a complete waste of time. But they pursue. And so David cries out, verse 15, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. I will remember my calling, David is saying, and I will cry out to you and talk about your mercy and your grace and your salvation and nobody else's but yours. I don't know if he's talking himself into it, but he's just reaffirming what I'm going to do with my life. Verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now, also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation your power to everyone who is to come. I like that. Here's why I like that. Because he's an old guy who doesn't know the new generation and the way God's moving today. It's different the way he got, you know. He's like, no, don't let me die until I tell the next generation all about your goodness, you know. We're not too old, everybody who's old like me or older. We're not too old, you know. You don't have to have an inexperienced, immature youth leader to lead youth. You know what they need? An old guy and an old woman with white hair, no, or any hair, sorry, 
and we're the, we're the coasts, and they're all right. That's what they need. They need to hear older people who have seasoned saints, let's call them that, who have walked with the Lord and seen his victory in their lives and what wondrous things God has done and to tell the next generation, and he'll do the same for you just like he's done for me. That's what they need. You know, we don't have to have the, the hip guy that knows how to shoot a Nerf gun, you know, kind of thing. That's what we need. And David says that, and I like that, you know. Now there comes a time you got to pass the torch. Don't get me wrong, you know. And you have to pry the Nerf gun out of my hand, you know, kind of thing. No, 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 take it. Take it. In fact, David does that for his, the true heir that God has chosen, which is going to be Solomon. He's not afraid to let go of the king. Normally, kings wait till they die, and then whoever they kind of told enough people about, that person becomes the king. David's going to anoint his son, Solomon, beforehand because of this Adonijah situation. Adonijah's doing the same thing Absalom is doing. Fifty guys running before him, chariots going before him. He's going to take all these groups, everybody he thinks is important, and we're going to have this big super secret meeting over here, and we're going to anoint this person to be the new king, and you're all going to say, I'm the king, right? We're going to draw names, but it's my name you're going to draw. And so they pick him in there. And, and while this is all going on, it gets wind to David. They say, hey, David, do you know what's going on? And it, it comes by Bathsheba. Bathsheba's like, I thought you said my son was going to be the king. He says, he is. Solomon's going to be king for sure. Well, that's not what's happening. And so then the prophet comes in, you know, Samuel walks in and says, you know what's going on? They're over there trying to make Adonijah king. He goes, well, that shouldn't be. You know, what should I do? I wonder what I should do. So he gets the prophet, he gets his son, he gets the important people back at Jerusalem, and they lay hands on Solomon while David's still alive and make him the king. And the whole city starts rejoicing in this little secret group over here that's having their nice little meeting. Hey, what's going on in Jerusalem over there? You know, They thought they were going to bring the great news. So these guys who got invited to this party over here to make this fake king king, are like, I don't think we should be at this party, <laughs> you know? We're in, we found ourselves on the wrong side of this line, you know? It's amazing how God works and protects David through this. And it's because of this prayer right here. He gets news. What do I do? You just pick the king now. That's his answer. Oh, I guess I could make Solomon king now. Of course you can. You can do whatever you want to do. You're king. Sweet, poured the oil on Solomon's head. It's a done deal. Everybody over here is going, wait, wait, wait. We're not done with our plan, you know? Your plans come to nothing, and you look really foolish over there. And you stand out now because you tried to usurp the authority that was only given, that can only be given by God. God does these things. I love it. So David writes this song, you know, remember me, my old age. You've taught me from the youth. I pray that I wouldn't die until I tell the next generation. David's got a lot to share about the Lord. He wants to talk about God. Verse 19. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I just know it is the idea. I know you will. I like how he says, your, your righteousness is really high, and you've shown me a lot of terrible things, too, in my life. I've got into a lot of problems. You've got to wonder about David as he thinks about his life. I can't believe I'm in front of you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and Goliath, and you know, coup after coup after coup attempt, you know, and all these people, and Philistines. We didn't even mention the Philistines. You know. Constantly, he's like, man, I've been through a lot. 
And then Saul, the whole Saul thing, hiding in caves and running around. And these 300 guys show up that really aren't the greatest guys to be around, but they become pretty good. You know, These mighty men of David became pretty good guys. And David's looking at all this. He says, you've shown me a lot of great and severe troubles. Anybody? I don't want to go raise your hand. But there's some people in this room that could probably say that. I have seen a lot of severe and terrible troubles. And I think about how God has brought me through all those. That's an important part of that. You know? And David does. He remembers God. So I know that you'll do that again. I know that you'll revive me again. Verse 22, and we'll close here. Also with the loot... I will praise you in your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed, we're going to sing. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all day, all the day long. Uh, For they are confounded, and they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. I've been a humbling walk back from that secret meeting, you know, what are you guys all doing? What are the flags for? Never mind. Never mind about the flags. You know, forget about the flags or whatever. Where are you guys all? Where were you? You know, planning a coup. How'd that go for you? It didn't. You know, God is so good. And David knows it. What I like about this, and this is, I've got two minutes, so I won't take them all. I'll give you, I'll stop a minute early. How's that? One thing I noticed, and I, and I got this from a teaching um, it has nothing to do with the text, actually. But the idea that David, filled with the Holy Spirit, can not only be a great warrior for God, but he's also an excellent musician. He's a wonderful commander, a wonderful king. You know, All these things came by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I just want you to know that. You, the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to give tongues. He doesn't come just to give prophecy. He doesn't come to just do those gifts of the Spirit that he does do. But he also makes you, I mean, think about the artisans that were able to construct the tabernacle. They were filled with the Spirit and able to come up with these things. He gave them the art. He gave them the vision. He gave them the capacity. So I just wanted to leave you with that. As the Holy Spirit fills you, and as we see David here at the end of his life, walking, in the, walking with the Lord his whole life, I'm going to praise you with the instruments like I used to praise you with. God gave him that gift. I don't know what, God, what gifts God has given you, but that, that's it. That's a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit isn't he's not narrow when it comes to, um, he's a Renaissance man. And I say that respectfully. I mean, he's got a lot of areas that he's a pro at, you know, and he wants to do that for you. And so whatever it is that you have, you know, you don't have to be that, but whatever you are, let the Holy Spirit develop that in you. And and, uh, that's a wonderful thing to see David using that even in his old age. I'm going to grab my lute, you know, and my harp. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for David's heart for you, his love for you, um, his, his passion and his crying out for you. But in the midst of that passion, somehow or longer, in the midst of his, his, somehow or another, in the midst of his difficulties and his trials and his hardships and his pain and his hurt, he's praising you. He's giving you glory in it. And we thank you that you did preserve David's life. We thank you that you did stop Adonijah. We, we are thankful that you stopped Absalom. We're, we're thankful that you were able to maintain him and keep him where you wanted him until you were done. You were able to move the power from Saul to David to Solomon because you can do this. Help us to trust you with our lives, God. No matter what we're in, no matter what difficulties we're going through, no matter who's hatching some scheme or, or plan anywhere, or trying to you know, have secret meetings or whatever, Lord, 
you know. And we trust and we praise you. And we know you have in the past and we know you will in the future. Lord, help us to leave here this morning in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. I'm glad to pray with you.